when you become a parent, there's just a lot of fluids. <laughs> there's a lot of fluids. <laughs> no breast milk at this moment. But from the moment you get pregnant, it's just a lot of stuff coming out of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Laura. I'm a mother of one, soon to be mother of two, like really soon. God. Any day now. With my Montessori training in lower and upper elementary, which is ages six to 12, I am here with Rachel, mother of two, with her Montessori training in infant toddler, which would be birth through three years old, and Megan, mother of two, with her training in lower elementary, ages six to nine. And she happens to also be currently working on her primary training, which would be ages three to six. You're going to have to finish that up, Megan, because when you do, we're going to cover the whole gambit, like zero to 12. I told you guys, the only reason I'm doing this is for the podcast. (laughs) The one and only. You are so dedicated. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Well, let's start by catching up. It has been a minute for real, you guys. So what's what's good? What's going on? Who wants to go? Me? You're first on the... (laughs) On the script. First on the script. Okay. Not that we ever follow a script, but your name is first. It's a cute idea. (laughs) We are just wrapping up the holiday season when we're recording this. And my family went to Disney World. It was amazing. This has been really, I mean, it's only been, I guess we only had two weeks off of school. Is that all? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like longer. I feel like I haven't been to school in forever, but... So we flew to Disney World with my parents and my sister and her husband, and it was just the best time. So magical. I mean, we're big Disney fans. We go quite often with my family, but this was like the time for Finley. Like he loves Buzz and Woody, and it was just so magical. Like we walked into Toy Story Land and he just hugs me. It's like, mommy, look, I love it. (laughs) Um, It was just, it was so sweet. It wore my heart and he got to ride and do all the fun things. And gosh, our infant Sylvie Banks, she was a champ. The only thing she was mad about was she's eating solids now and it's hard to travel and give her the proper stuff. And I had pouches, but she's, she's like, I want the real stuff. I don't want a pouch, you know, like I want that steak or hamburger on your plate. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, otherwise she was such a champ and it was so good. And then we came back and we did Christmas and that was super fun and magical. He got lots of dinosaur stuff. Sylvie Banks just got lots of clothes really and baby needs teethers, but it was good. It's just been a good time. And now we've just had this week after Christmas to just kind of rest, which has been nice 
Garrett's been home like the whole week and that's super nice because we don't get that much we haven't had that since paternity leave really so that's super nice to just all just be and I'm not looking forward to next week but that's the hard thing is that you're able to kind of feel like you can refresh and mm-hmm. be renewed but then there's just this looming cloud of like but I have to go back yeah 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 I was talking about that with Rachel I was texting and saying it's going to be a harsh reality check for all of us too and I'm not even going back to a classroom but my kid has to go back to a classroom which means we have to go back to a school schedule like period and that I mean she's been sleeping in we've all been sleeping in yeah it has been so so it's been like the bedtime routine is dragged out a little bit longer like we're not in a rush you know just the, the rush the rush of going back it is the rush to the normal regularly scheduled program is just I'm not excited about it either but um yeah I'll just go from there because my name is next on the script <laughs> that we don't stick to um but it's just this arbitrary list <laughs> I think that it's something we put up like in the first script we ever made and it yeah. just stays like that, stays never, like that forever. never looked at it before almost now. a whole year you I guys. was just gonna say a year later I now am paying attention to what order we share in <laughs> um I will say that I also had a beautiful holiday experience. If you follow my other podcast, Not Another Momcast, with my sister-in-law, then you probably have already heard about it because she came to visit us, which is, that never happens. Since I chose to move to this area 10 years ago, every single summer, every holiday break, we go to the Northeast where we're originally from, where my family is, where she currently is with my husband's brother, because conveniently my best friend married my brother-in-law, just in case you don't know the whole story. In fact, Rachel, I was telling Rachel the whole story today. I didn't even know. So long story short, they came here and they have a daughter now who's just like six, seven months behind my daughter. And now that they're like two and a half and two, that gap is a lot less of a lifetime. You know what I mean? Like for a while, that six, seven month gap is the abilities, the language, everything is so extremely different for a while. But now they're like pretty much on the same page, almost enough for it to be the freaking cutest. So fun. So cute. They were so good. You know, they're both only children for now. And so that was a lot of sharing your space and your things all day, every day. It was a revolving door of people coming to visit. It was a lot, but they did so well. And it was just so sweet to see them. Of course, I loved spending the time with my best friend slash basically chosen sister and now legally actually sister-in-law. So that was just... That was just lovely. And I had the worst holiday hangover when they left. You know, like the house is quiet. Yeah. You have no agenda. You want, you like kind of should probably clean up after everything, but just like, just can't find it in yourself to get up off the couch. So I've been trying to stay busy the last however many days we have left of this break. We got to have a play date with Rachel this morning. Megan, don't get upset. What? (laughs) She could not have reached for her mute button faster. (laughs) She never unmutes herself that fast. I know, right? Great. I've managed to figure it out that time. That time, (laughs) in time to yell at us. So we know you can do it that quick, Megan. Never expect it again. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye forever. Mute. So yeah, so that that was our, our break thus far, which is coming to a close, as we said, but it's just, it was really nice. And it is so fun. Like all of our firstborn children are officially at ages now where 
all this stuff is fun and magical and a little overwhelming, but also really, really cool. So Megan, that will lead to you because speaking of overwhelming, you had quite a holiday break. Yeah, Talk to I'm us. I'm going to just bring us down several pegs from the <laughs> magical holiday season. Um, no, it still was, but it started off very, very rocky. So our little town, our little county, actually, at the beginning of the month, lost power. And not just like, because you know, you, when you lose power, sometimes it's like you lose it in in your town, but you can go to the next town. Yeah. Or maybe you lose it in your neighborhood, but the, you know other neighborhoods have it. Absolutely no one within about a 45 to 50 minute drive had power. So that meant no restaurants, no uh, gas stations, no nothing. There were three places open, two grocery stores and the hospital. And that was it. And not for weather, like not because, you know, that's usually what happens is there's weather and we lose power. But this was done on purpose. We lost power because someone did that purposefully, which is just awful in itself and really infuriating. So we were trying to manage like, you know, we didn't prepare probably well enough. We didn't have a ton of water, which you need for everything. You know, we didn't have lights, we didn't have heat, and we didn't have a ton of food leading up to it because we didn't know what was going to happen. So then we just ended up going to Laura's house like (laughs) every single day to shower, to eat. She'd like feed my children. So it had been several days. So we actually ended up flying out early to see my parents in California because I was like, well, you know, we are just surviving at this point. Like, let's just go. We were going to go the next week anyway, and uh, we'll eat and be warm. (laughs) there. Yeah. But then that meant I had to fly. I mean, I was going to anyway, but I had to fly with the kids uh, by myself with my one and two year old, which was just a thing in itself. But also I'm like packing in the dark (laughs) because I wasn't expecting to have to leave. So no power. Like we went to Laura's. I was like, we have to shower at your house because I can't take just all of our smelly bodies on the plane. And (laughs) anyway, it was a rough start. Thank you, Laura, for hosting us. The kids actually had a lot of fun. So did I. I had a great time with you guys. I felt bad of how like, honestly, terrible of an experience it must have been for you because I was like, oh, they're coming back. Yay. We're going to play again <laughs> oh my today. Gosh, I got an infection and oh, was sitting dude. on your couch with 102 fever. Like it oh. was just, <laughs> oh, it was, it was a typical Megan story. <laughs> it was like when it rains, it pours. She had come over and was wearing a winter jacket that she refused to take off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll just turn the heat up a little bit. Like, I was is like, it that no, cold it's in cold. here? She's like, I'm so cold. At one point, both children were napping on her on the couch. She's under blankets and these two little furnaces, and she's still cold. I was like, bro. <laughs> Something's wrong. Well, actually, I she was upstairs, and, and I, like, text her because I had the kids asleep on me. And I was like, hey, can you bring me a thermometer? And she's like, oh, for the kids? I was like, no, for me. <laughs> and, I <laughs> I took it, and I took it, and it was 102. And I was like, oh, well, that's why I'm so cold. And she's like, well, I like that you're so calm about it. <laughs> you are handling this so well right now. But yeah, it was a rough, rough start to the break for 
you it guys. It really was. And then like overall it was really great. But I mean, I had to, I had to talk about that little rocky moment. But also now I'm just really excited because it's January and this is our one year anniversary yeah. of the podcast coming out, which is so wild Crazy. that it's been a whole year that we've done this and that we are still here. <laughs> We're still doing we it. We are. And people listen to us. Yeah, and people are still listening. Sometimes. (laughs) The coolest thing I think about this whole process is that we've actually made some true mom friends out of this podcast. And dad friends, mostly mom friends. Our dad listeners are a little fewer and further between. But we have made some like actual relationships, which is really cool. And if you're on the fence, if you're like, I don't want to reach out to them because they're not actually going to answer me. We will. And we will be your friends. Please. Yeah, I agree. I think that's obviously an incredible takeaway is feeling like there's an actual community building up of people that have touched our lives personally. Mm-hmm. And that we've been able to learn from too. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. We all wanted to take a second to just thank everyone who has been involved with and participated in Project Javier. For me, this podcast absolutely brought that entire family into my life. And I'm so grateful for that. And yeah, I just think this has been a really cool year. So thank you to everybody that's been a part of that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Should we jump in? We should jump in. Okay. Let's jump into freedom and discipline. So when we talk about freedom in the Montessori context, we are not talking about doing whatever you want without thought. We are talking about the inner freedom to be able to choose what is right and good, even in a difficult situation. When we say discipline, we are not referring to punishment of the child by the adult. We are talking about an inner ability to regulate oneself in the service of growth or improvement, the ability to use constraint and control of the will. Before diving deep into our content, we wanted to start with a quote from The Absorbent Mind. Maria Montessori stated to let the child do as he likes when he has not yet developed any powers of control is to betray the idea of freedom. So what are our thoughts? We want to jump into the conversation here. Yeah, well, I I love this topic. I want to say that when I started at the school that we all have been involved with at some point or another are still involved with now, the kind of motto, which since then has been updated, but at the time was freedom in a framework. And I feel like that right there is such an easy, digestible way to understand that, yes, there is this concept of freedom, but it is not a free for all. There is a framework around it. There is an expectation, there are parameters, there are borders, there's a guidance throughout that concept of freedom. So that's kind of the place that my brain immediately goes is, yes, there's freedom, but it's in a framework. But the other thing that I wanted to just reference really quickly, and I think this honestly could probably be unpacked in its own episode, is... I think that a lot of times the Montessori philosophy gets a bad rap because there's this idea that if there's all this freedom, that there must just be this chaos and this disrespect. And I think that sort of goes hand in hand with a really common attitude around the idea of gentle parenting, which is kind of another term that sort of fits in Montessori. It's not exactly the same, but it's really, really close, right? And so I just wanted to say that I recently had scrolled past a real by, I'll just spell the handle. It's J-O-Y-M-A-R-I-L-I-E, Joy Marili, 
Morali. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Are either of you sure how to pronounce that? No, I'm going to look up and see. Oh, it's her last name. So Joy is her first name. Yeah, Joy is definitely a first name. Last name is Marilly or Morali or Mariel. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm sorry, Joy. I want to do you right, <laughs> but I'm definitely struggling. And the reel was called Gentle Parenting Ain't Working. And it had my attention right away. It's like a three and a half minute piece. And it is so beautifully and perfectly done in my opinion there's a little bit of profanity so i'm just gonna put that out there now explicit content warning which is right up my alley again if you listen to my other podcast you already know that but i just loved how she kind of talked about all these parents out there saying i tried it it doesn't work it doesn't work and this i feel like this is a thing we hear about montessori too i tried it it doesn't work they still throw fits they still do this they still don't listen blah 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 well yeah of course they are human beings they are children like it is their job right now to push those boundaries, to push back. The goal of gentle parenting, the goal of the Montessori philosophy is not to create submissive humans that never defy us or even consider it. You know what I mean? The goal is not to never be bothered by the fact that they do that sometimes. Like, yeah, it it drives you nuts, right? There are a lot of difficult aspects of rising above to find it in yourself to follow the Montessori philosophy. And she, she actually says she likes to call it conscious parenting instead of gentle parenting. And she references how a lot of times the parents who are people who are so bothered by that and kids, again, this is something Megan talks about a lot. You kind of have to look inward and see like, What is it about me that's taking this so personally right now? And it's a lot of time that we as the adult feel like we don't have control in a lot of aspects of our lives. And I think a lot of us don't feel like we do. And so therefore, when the kid pushes back a little bit or defies us a little bit or whatever the case is, it feels like such a personal attack on like the quality of us. Exactly. Or that their behavior is a direct reflection of our parenting, which of course, like I've totally been there. My kid out in public does something that I take personally. Like everyone is judging me right now. You know, everyone's thinking why doesn't she have control over her children or whatever it is? And I think we've all felt that way. So I do definitely understand that thought. And maybe some of that insecurity, because we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. And we don't want to feel like we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And our children have this beautiful, beautiful way of chipping away at that. (laughs) Those insecurities that we've tucked down so deeply and have ignored for a really long time, those wounds, those experiences from our past, like they have a way of bringing all of that to light. So it's just being aware of those things. And yeah, I'm really, I need to go look at it. I know a lot of the content that she puts out and it's all wonderful. So if you have the opportunity, I would definitely go and check that out. And I think that's a great way to start because... Yes, we are going to talk about freedom. We're going to talk about discipline. And as Rachel said, neither of them are what you would typically think of as freedom or discipline. We're not saying we're going to discipline them into submission. We're going to punish them. We're going to get them to behave how we want. We're not doing that. Freedom, we're not letting them do what they want. What did you say? You said the inner freedom to be able to choose what is right or good, even in a difficult situation. Not just because mom is watching. Not just because the teacher can hear you. Exactly. In a society, that's how we should function as human beings. And that is much more of a cohesive, 
partnership. The kid has to be involved in the steps to getting to that place. You can't get a child to that place by just telling them that that's what they should do and that's how they should feel. So I think I've mentioned in past episodes too, something that's really hard for me is I feel very conscious of the fact that when I'm out in public with her or with friends and family that don't prescribe to this philosophy, it's hard for me not to feel like probably everyone's judging me that I'm letting her run the show, quote unquote, because Mm -hmm. I let it be a conversation. Not always. There are times where it just can't be, but every time it can be, it is. And I feel very aware that other parents are looking at me, especially of different generations and thinking, what What is she doing? (laughs) Yeah. Like, why are you, why is this a conversation? And so I just kind of wanted to kind of start with all of that, that I get that there's this whole huge pushback that this doesn't work. And that if you're doing it the right way, then it means that your kid runs the show and runs wild. And I just want to say right off the bat, we don't feel that way. And hopefully this, this conversation will break down what we mean by freedom and what we mean by discipline, how they go hand in hand. And I'm really, really giving such a quick synopsis on Joy's reel there on gentle parenting not working. Again, I think it could be its whole own episode. Yeah, definitely. Joy, if you're out there and you listen to this, maybe you can come on and do the episode with us, like break it down for everybody. Because again, I think she said it so wonderfully. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about this topic because I think it's one of those that again, gives this philosophy a bad rap. And I don't think that's fair. Yeah. And, and hopefully it'll give you all out there as well as us as we talk about it, the, just the confidence to know like this is what we're doing and this is why. And that way when we do have those moments where maybe we feel like people are judging us, we can all feel pretty confident in our choices of why we're doing and handling a situation the way that we're choosing to consciously. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Uh, you can continue on, Rachel. So some important experiences to building up freedom and discipline. So children learning simple things like washing a table helps them grow in emotional independence. By helping children develop this authentic independence, it will help them in their discipline. As people, we have to be able to make choices. Our approach is fostering this deep development and we are not creating conformity or expecting conformity. So work and working atmosphere, movement, concentration, repetition, choice and communication. Where do we want to go? Megan, do you have something you want to share before I blabber some more? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I'm just, I'm looking at this list and these experiences are really kind of what we would see when we walk in a Montessori environment or in the home. So that work that we talk about, those purposeful activities that we either set up or have the opportunity for them to do with us, like cooking or like Rachel said, washing a table or whatever it is that you've set up for that purposeful work. We're doing this to develop independence and we're doing this to help them use their body and their mind together, which we know now scientifically, but Maria Montessori knew much longer ago that this is how children learn body and mind. And honestly, a lot of adults also need that connection. And so that kind of goes right into movement. And I think a lot of times that we expect children to be still and quiet, and that's how we define them behaving, quote unquote. So, you know, here in Rachel's list, she says communication and movement when our children are kind of, you know, moving wildly or they are talking and they're excited or they're really loud or they won't stop talking that maybe we can sometimes perceive that as them misbehaving 
And so I love that the opportunities to speak and communicate and the opportunity to move is what she described as goodness and the that building up that freedom, building up that discipline and that we can view it that way of like, oh, this is building up of their personality. That's what she says too, is that they are constructing themselves. So those are big ones to me. Obviously choice is huge. The ability to choose their activities and choose what they want to do and how many times they do it. So for repetition, like a lot of people ask me about like the Montessori environment of like, what is the limit for like time? Like they can paint, but for like how long? And then it's time for math or it's time for whatever. Especially for younger children, there is no limit. And we know that repetition is a human tendency. We've talked about that in our human tendencies episode. You can go back and listen to those. That was a three-parter. So if you have time, (laughs) you could go back and listen to that. But that we as humans have to repeat. It's part of the way that we learn and it's part of how we experience the world. And it's how children learn as well. So all of these things are really important for developing that, that discipline and that ability to make choices and choose right from wrong. But they have to have the opportunity to practice those things, to be independent in the activities that they're doing. That's going to help them build their will and help them to make better choices and to help them to have the sense of self by making choices. So all of that is really important for these, you know, these people that we're trying to have them out in society and making good decisions and positive decisions for not just themselves, but for their community. I think it's important to to say the prepared environment is also very important for this to be able to happen. You can't just expect your child to be like freedom of movement. Yes, we want that freedom, but it has to be in a safe way, right? So if they're in an environment, maybe that's like overstimulating or something and you're you're maybe freaking out as a parent because they're spinning or they're going to fall or they're going to hit their head or something like that. It's maybe not a safe environment. So the prepared environment in the sense is really important to allow them to build up that freedom and discipline and confidence in themselves so they can be independent, but it can't just be anywhere. It has to be kind of within the parameters of an environment that's set up for them, for their success, if that makes sense. And we have an episode on the prepared environment. So listen to that if you haven't been able to listen to it or want to know more about the prepared environment. And I think that refers perfectly back to the quote that you opened with from the absorbent mind where Maria says to let the child do as he likes when he has not yet developed any powers of control is to betray the idea of freedom. So again, it's not just like, oh, Megan said it's okay to move and be loud, to move wildly and like scream all the time is like, that's what they need. Not necessarily, right? Like, again, there always are parameters around these things. Yeah. You guys tell me if this is like not relevant, but the thing that's coming to my mind right now is, Megan, you were sharing that you talked to someone who talked to a doctor who had worked in Africa for a long time. And it reminded you of our conversation with Tatenda and talking about his childhood in Africa was so inherently Montessori. And this doctor was sharing that she came back to the US and she has young children herself and realized how unrealistic some of our expectations are for how they're going to behave in certain situations. For example, sitting down to a meal, especially out in public, but even in their own home. We're talking about like young toddlers and stuff, right? 
it's an awfully big ask to have someone that little sit. Uh, okay, 10, 11, you know, older children. Yeah, you should, at this point, we hopefully have built up the stamina to sit still and have a, you know, respectful, quiet meal. But like the children in the first plane of development, that might not be something that they're fully capable of yet. And sort of respecting that and then putting some safe boundaries around it. So after we had that conversation, I kind of changed how I talked to my own toddler in those situations. So like we went to go have a meal at my in-law's house. And I know that the expectation on their part is that she's going to sit perfectly quietly, like a little tiny adult and eat super politely. And sometimes she does. And sometimes she doesn't. And so instead of just like pinning her to the seat between myself and my husband and being like, we sit down, we sit down when we eat, sit down. She kept standing up. I said, okay, if you want to stand up and move, I'm going to put you over here and you can go play in the living room. When you want to eat, you're going to come sit at the table. And it became her choice. Like I would like to eat now. The expectation is I'm going to sit. I need to move now. The expectation is I'm going to move away from the table and the food. So it was still respecting that I know that she should sit while she's eating. And if she's not capable of sitting right now, then she's not eating right now. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just giving her, again, the choice and the ability to move. But there's a boundary there too. Yeah. But yeah, but if she's not able to concentrate on the task at hand, then she can move on to a different task that she's capable of concentrating on safely. Is that relevant? It is because we're, I mean, right now we're just talking about the freedoms, like we're going to get into the limits. So just looking at that from the freedom standpoint is that there are age appropriate choices Yep. and age appropriate freedoms for her to make those decisions herself. And something I think that is helpful because we so often are like, well, we need them to be that kid that can sit and eat at the table. So therefore we have to sit and make them eat at the table until they can do it. Like that makes sense to me. That's logical. However, it's not age appropriate expectations. And so something that we really like when we were talking about what freedom is and the ability to choose what is right and what is good, we have to give them the opportunity to practice making choices. So if we tell them what to do constantly their entire lives and we send them out into the world, this is the first time that they're going to have to make those decisions for themselves. And I personally don't want that to be the first time my child is making a decision. That that scares me. That scares me. <laughs> you know? Well, and what was funny about that scenario is as soon as I put her down on the ground, like removed her from the table and said, go do what you need to do. She did like half a lap around the living room and came back and was like, well, I want... I want to eat. I want to be with right. everybody else. And I said, okay, then are you yeah. ready yeah. to sit and eat? Yeah. And she said, yeah, mommy, I'm ready. But it wasn't, it wasn't because I was making her anymore. It was because it was her choice. And that's the thing too, about what Maria Montessori would talk about with how people always talked about how calm the children were in her classroom. It wasn't because she forced them. It's because the whole philosophy is built on, we talked about human tendencies, honoring that, which movement is important and also their sensitive periods. Mm -hmm. So we know that that's also important. And when we honor those things and we build an environment around them that honors those things, you're probably not going to see the same behaviors that you would see when you're actively trying to do everything the opposite of what their natural tendencies are going to be. I mean, and of course, still you can do all the right things and sometimes they're just not having it, but 
a lot of times it takes out some of that resistance, that power struggle. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Which is not, it's definitely not what we want. So let's talk about freedoms a little bit more and then we'll get into limits. All right. Should we move on to the necessary external freedoms? External freedoms. Yes. Okay. So on our list of external freedoms, we have choice of activity, length of time spent with an activity and movement again movement. We keep coming back to movement. It is a big one. And it is is so important if you're in our culture, because again, we have this really unrealistic expectation that children are going to sit still and be silent all the time. And that's just not realistic. So what do we want to unpack for choice of activity, length of time spent with an activity and movement? So I think, um, I mean, when we say choice of activity, length of time spent, We're obviously talking about developmentally appropriate for your child, wherever they are. Like we're not saying that a fifth grader could do art all day long. (laughs) Like that, that's, there has to be, you know, a boundary there, which we're going to get into limits later, but we want them to be, to have the ability to choose that activity. That's freedom of choice. That's allowing them to choose that and allowing them to be independent in that, which is what we want, we want them to reach that independence. And if we're always choosing for them, like Megan just said, then they've never made a choice in their life. What happens when they do have to make their own choice? It sounds really simple. Just, oh, we're letting them choose what they want at three years old, maybe to play with, or maybe like Laura was saying, do you want to get up or do you want to sit right now? And we're allowing them to choose that, but we're allowing them to make that choice at such a young age that they're able to then make choices as they grow. And that's the importance in this. We want them to be able to make choices independently. So when they maybe are in that hard situation, when they're older, they are independent and they can make that choice. Yeah. I love, there's a sub note under that, that says that the idea here is the freedom is their ability to choose, but the limit here is that they are existing within a community. Yeah. So in theory, you have the freedom to choose a thing, but if someone else is already using that activity, then it's not available to you right now and you need to make a different choice. Or if that choice is harmful to yourself or others, then it's no longer a choice, right? So there, there is a limit in letting them choose their activity, mm-hmm. but just the ability to, again, anywhere you can, let them choose instead of, here, you want to play with this. Here, you want to do this. Here, we're doing this right now. That's just a huge, huge step in the right direction for this idea of external freedoms. Yeah. And again, it, there, like Rachel said, there needs to be a prepared environment, right? Because it's not like you have the choice to grab the butcher knife, yeah. watch TV all day. Yeah. You know, that's probably not a choice for most of our children. But when the environment is set up, I think that it's interesting, Laura, what you mentioned, because I think that is a little bit different. There's usually one of something, maybe two in a classroom. And we do the same thing in our home. Like I don't buy two of everything for my children. There's one and we don't share. It's not, you know, we, we share in, in the, sense that it belongs to all of us, but we don't share. I don't say, okay, you can have this for 10 minutes and then you're going to have this for 10 minutes. Or I set a timer, or you need to share this with your brother or your sister. That's not how we do it. And it's not how we do it in the classroom. The children are not limited to their choices of like how long they are going to spend with an activity. If my daughter wants something that my son is playing with, he's using it 
and it's not available. And when he's done, it will be available again, but we're not going to, you know, we're not going to hover over him until he's finished. You need to make a different choice. And so again, this idea of choice isn't this whole, you get to just choose whatever you want. This is like a lot of, like we've talked about developing the will. This is a lot of like restraint. It's a lot of restraint that it takes a child to say, you can't have this and you need to choose something else. Like what a great lesson. And I think that that, like what you said, Laura, about how people think that it's just this free for all and gentle parenting doesn't work. And it's, it's an important lesson. And it's also kind of a harsh lesson, Mm, (laughs) you know, of people thinking that this is so gentle and precious, but if it's not available, it's not available. And that's the limits are hard and they're, they're hard and fast. And I think that that's the misconception. A lot of the time is that they're, too, I don't know, what's the word? Loosey-goosey. <laughs> I'm getting that based hand. on your hand motions. Your hand motions suggest loosey-goosey. Yeah, whatever you want. Okay, we need to share. Like, yeah. that's not how yeah. it is. And of yeah. course, we are always respectful. But I think it really respects the child's development to be able to see something through without being interrupted. And that's something we're protecting as well. My, if my child's playing with something, I'm protecting his concentration, not just from me, but from other people, from his sister, from himself. And so I think that that is something that's really interesting about those external freedoms of the way that we set up the environment to be able to let them make those honestly, sometimes hard choices. It's hard to say that I wanted to do that. And now I can't do that. And now I have to make a different choice now that I'm upset. That's a hard thing to do. Again, I just experienced that over a multi-day visit with a toddler being in my toddler space and both of them having to understand that they couldn't both do the same thing at the same time. Yeah. But my language wasn't, no, you have to share. It's her turn now. You know what I mean? Like it was more valuable to have one or both of them experience having to wait for that mm-hmm. thing to become available. We had our play date today, Rachel, and both yep. of our kids were going for the same thing. And our yep. language was, that's not available to you. You're going to need to choose something else. When they're done, you exactly. can have that choice. When he's done, which is not my decision, it's yep. his. And that little shift right there is a huge step. You don't get everything you want. And I think that that's the misconception a lot of times. And it's built in. And the interesting thing too, is that what we've seen as teachers, and I'm sure you guys have seen it as parents is that that is kind of the way that they start to view things they value the work of other people if I say that's his work and it's not available it says we value this this is important and so it's not available to you and your work we value it it's important and so they tend to respond well because they're doing it in their classroom they're doing it at home I think people get scared like that there's going to be tension and it's going to be a fight but actually the more consistent you are it's not a huge fight and it hasn't been of course my son is in the age where he like guys I'm I'm a human parent also he flings himself (laughs) on the floor and he cries when he can't have what he wants sometimes which again I expect is totally age appropriate and some of the things he's going through developmentally is that's what I expect from him but I keep the boundaries up and he's going to get there. And I have faith in him that he'll get there 
if I stay consistent. And it's actually more important that I stay consistent. And I'm not expecting that, you know, I'm not going to, he's going to cry. He's going to be upset because sometimes when you don't get what you want, it's hard. Well, and what you just said is exactly a kind of link to this gentle parenting is validating that this is hard. It's Mm -hmm. hard for you. Mm -hmm. And again, today during our play day, our language was, it's hard to share. It's hard to wait your turn. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we then snatch it out of the other kid's hand and give it to our kid to stop the tears. Like there, there is a middle ground between just caving to everything that they want and still being able to validate them in a respectful way, but hold that boundary. Like, yes, this is hard. Yeah, I understand why you're crying. You come here and give me a hug if you need to. All right, now let's go choose something else because you still can't take that thing out of his hand. Like that's still the period at the end of the sentence, you know? Yeah. Now, before we move to the limits, I think just the one thing we didn't talk too much about, but we have a lot of times before is the movement concept again. So in the classrooms, movement is literally built into lessons a lot of times. I gave the example of working on a puzzle map and having to pick up a continent and name the continent and bring it to a teacher who then might send you to a different person in the room. Or you have to, at the very least, you have to get up and go get get a work from a shelf, bring it to a rug, put it back when you're done. They're heavy. Yeah. A lot of them are heavy. That maximum effort work or they're breakable. So you Mm -hmm. have to be very careful with it, right? So movement is very intentionally built into it. And especially for the younger ages, but even for older ages, and there's scientific proof that you retain concepts better when movement is built into a lesson, or you have to use both sides of your body, which activates both hemispheres of your brain. And I just think I don't want to totally gloss over movement, even though we have addressed it before, but it is a really important part of giving them the freedom to do that, to move around a space has a lot of benefits other than just getting their energy out. Yeah. My advice for anyone at home is like, if you're buying toys or if you're making up activities, especially, especially for younger children that you build that movement into them. We got some of those love every cards where you match the shapes or the colors. And so something that is built into a lot of lessons in a classroom is this idea of traveling. So like Laura said, you might go from one room to another. And so you can set up two spots. You know, if your child's not sitting there, like they're not going to sit and match stuff. And you're like, my kid doesn't do that. Put some on one side of the room and then put the other on the other side of the room. And so one of the importance of that is the movement, but also you have to be able to keep in your mind what you've seen and remember it all the way across the room, choose it and come back and match it and might not match. Now I have to go back. It's really this really beautiful way to develop memory, just holding something in your mind and in your thoughts. So that's a really cool way. Anything that you're doing that might be too fine motor is to put them on two different sides of the room. A fun thing too is to Velcro. In my classroom a lot, I'll Velcro one of the pictures to different shelves or on around the room and then they can take that card and match it and velcro it and it's just another step for like a toddler they really like the on off function of the velcro yeah my toddlers will not match at a rug and if you're out there and you've tried it with your child and you're like my child won't do the matching 
it's card me. Thing. You're talking to me. I'm sitting here like, oh my God, that's genius because we have that exact same set and my daughter is very drawn to them. She's chosen them off of the, our little shelf a handful of times, but then she sits down at the table with it and like less than a minute later, she's ready to put it back because yeah. she doesn't just want to sit with it right there. So I need to separate one mm-hmm. half and put them on the other side. And then there's that extra challenge of you can't take this with you. Can you remember what you're looking for? Like, that's great. That's genius. Thank you so much. A lot of people call it a, either a bring me or a fetching game. Fetching. Yeah. I've heard yeah, that. Fetching is what we call, call it. Yeah. So some people don't like fetching because they say it sounds like a and dog. It sounds like it's it a does. dog. Yeah. Traditionally it's fetching, but anything, you could bring me anything. And if, if you need to get some time or you need to get some movement out of your child that's purposeful, can you bring me a spoon? Mm-hmm. And oh, guess what? You get to sit on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Um, my my kids really love that. And if you can remember all the way to your room, can you get me the blue ball? And they have to go all the way to their room and they love it. They love it. Yeah. Okay. I can I can attest to that one. My daughter loves that. She likes feeling like she's helping with something or she's completing this special task, right? Yeah. So it's just a fun game. My point is anything that you can build movement into is going to be more successful and that's good. Talk to us about necessary limits. I'll talk to you about that. (laughs) We'll do that. Okay. Necessary limits. So we set limits. We've talked about freedom and let's talk about why we set limits and kind of how we do that. So there's no shaming. There's no labeling. We've talked about that pretty often. We just limit the behavior. So we don't need to yell. We don't need to scream. We don't need to ask them, why do you keep doing that? Uh, I heard today in the grocery store, this little boy, he was touching all of the candy that's up. Their eye level, like it's meant to entice them. And his dad was like, you're going to get it. And I was like, I mean, if if there was a bunch of shiny wrappers filled with chocolate at my eye level, I'd be grabbing it too. I would, (laughs) I would want the chocolate. So this can look different in every family, but our our hope is to help them develop their self-discipline. So this is different and we're not trying to make them behave the way that we want them to behave. It's not adult-centered, it's child-centered. We want them to build up their own self-discipline. This is going to help them as they get older and help them as they go out into the world. You need to have self-discipline. You need to be able to do things that are hard that maybe you don't want to do. How many of us want to get up and go to work? But we do it because we have self-discipline or things that are good for us. Like I don't necessarily necessarily want to go work out or eat the vegetable or drink the water that's in my giant cup which by the way I found out that my straw is glow in the dark wow I didn't even mean to do that but I turned out the light and I was like what <laughs> anyway <laughs> if you could brag on the cup for like just another well, I, I have one now to brag to I know so. and we don't get sponsored by this yeah Stanley where are you at um god where was I anyway self-discipline important. okay <laughs> so The limits. So these are guidelines that we believe to be pretty universal. And you might have ones that are more specific to your situation or your home or your classroom or whatever it is that you're doing. Or maybe if you're out in a different environment, the limits may change, but we felt like these were pretty universal. So the first one is that there are not too many limits. We don't want to overwhelm our children with so many rules or limits that they can't begin to follow all of them because they can't remember all of them or that there's just 
we're constantly correcting, we're constantly needing to intervene, and constantly trying to stop them from doing something. Like Rachel said, if, if you're not in a prepared environment, you might be like, ah, don't do that. Stop. Come here. That was me at the airport yesterday. My child was just let me take these sunglasses from the sunglass hut. And that's me- the problem is it's not just like there shouldn't be too many limits. I feel like, again, that's going to immediately rub someone the wrong way. It's just that like practically speaking, your kid is tuning you out after mm-hmm. like the fifth uh-huh. no and don't and you can't. Like it's just their whole lives, their whole world is stuff they can't do. They yeah. shouldn't do. They're not yeah. allowed to do. So like just finding a way to reduce all the no, 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 no mm-hmm. and and spin it into a you can do this, yeah. you mm-hmm. can touch this is going to get better behavior for you. I genuinely believe that we have too many rules a lot of times for children for no reason. Sometimes I'll tell my kids they can't do something and then I think about it. I'm like, why? Yeah, exactly. Why can't they? And I just have this idea in my head or maybe the way that I was raised, like we weren't allowed to do that. And so I feel like for some reason we're not allowed to do that. I was just watching a reel from um, one of our listeners and she was talking about how she's trying to unlearn all of these limits that she experienced as a child. And she's like, why? Like, we can't get wet. Why? Why? <laughs> why? We can't play in the dirt. Mud. There have been why? so many times yeah. that my daughter has been like, I want to go outside. And my husband or mother-in-law immediately were like, no, it's raining. And I was like, well, why? Okay. Well, you yeah. just put on a rain jacket and some boots. We don't want to as the adult. Yeah, Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make sense to tell her we can't go outside when it's raining. That's Mm -hmm. ridiculous. You know, like there's like you said, there's just so many things that there's so many limits and no's all the time. Yeah. So I do think that few in number one, they're more likely to follow them when they are. The next one was that they're logical. And if we really kind of boil them down and say, are these logical? We're probably going to get rid of a lot of them because... Probably a lot of them aren't. In my case, I, my husband always says that I try to turn no's into yeses. And that is definitely like my philosophy a lot of the time is that his first reaction a lot of times is like, no, you can't, just period. <laughs> and a lot of times I try to figure out how can this be a yes? Because like you said, Laura, they get told no all, all the time, the day long. And if someone was trying to tell me like, Oh, can't touch that. Oh, don't do that. Like I wouldn't even know where to move. And then I would just start screaming mm-hmm. like my child did in the airport. Cause he couldn't touch everything he wanted to. And that's what I mean too. Like in the airport, there were a lot of limits and so few in number doesn't really, that didn't, you know, it wasn't applicable in that situation. In that situation. So that's why I say that these are universal. It'll be different in your situation. So let me just name the rest and then you guys can talk. So we had few in number, logical, they're consistent, they're respectful of people, and they're respectful of materials, things, or whatever it is in their environment that they're not smashing and destroying. Go. Yeah, well, I love the consistency one. Yeah, that's that sticks out right say. away. That's a really important one because kids are smart. We've talked about this a lot. They will find loopholes in the system, which is a survival thing. Like we want them to be doing that really, even though we get mad when it's turned on us. But if you five times out of ten say that thing is not available or not an option, and the other five times you cave because like you're tired, and I get it. I get it, sister. I get it, brother. You are tired. Sometimes it's just easier to just not follow through on it. But that kid is absolutely going to walk away from that scenario like, okay, 
So that's not a rule. Tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that, one's, that one's malleable. That one's bendable. If I try hard enough, if I whine loudly enough, I will get my way on that one. So that's where the consistency is just, it is exhausting, but oh my gosh, is it important. And also that there's that feeling, especially in that first plane of safety and just knowing what to expect each day or what the answer is going to be every time, that sensitive period for order they really thrive under that consistency. So again, it's a lot of work for us, but holding those limits the same way every time is so super important to their development and also to, again, avoiding those power struggles, your ability to not lose your mind because they keep trying to negotiate on this one thing that you said no on, but like a couple of times you said yes, stay consistent on those those boundaries. I think for me, um, respect for people. I mean, that this is just another huge one and materials, but respect for people. I mean, we live in a world where we're communicating constantly with individuals. I think it's just important that we're also remembering ourselves. And we've talked about this, I think, in human tendency to really watch us as adults and how we communicate and respect people and individuals because our children are watching us all the time. And they are, you know, learning from us, repeating what we do, repeating what we say. So when we're respectful to people and when we're showing them respect to them, our children themselves, then they are also going to do that too. So that's another big one. Yeah, I feel like these all go so well together because I had talked about how communication and movement are so important. And the limit there is respect for people and respect for materials. So if we're in a public place, like if my kids are outside, like they can scream. I, it's fine. That doesn't bother me. If we're in a public place, we can't scream. It's alarming. And also some people are sensitive to that. So we need to be respectful of other people. So it's not this just like free for all. We do have to change how we behave in certain situations, there are limits. And same thing with materials. Yes, you have the choice of what you'd like to work with. Yes, you have the choice of how long you'd like to work with it. You have to be respectful because this belongs to everyone. This is usable for everyone. You can't smash this into the ground. You can't put the marker in the mud. There are these limits because we exist in a community And if you do that, then someone else can't do that. So that's the logical part is that if you put the marker in the mud, then your brother won't be able to use it or you won't be able to use it tomorrow. So we have to respect our materials and they're limited. And that's part of the Montessori, like minimalistic. People think it's like an aesthetic and it's this like very trendy thing. But really it's to say, this is valuable. This is important. And we have to care for it. And we have to practice caring for our things because I'm not trying to be the parent that if you break it, I'm just going to go buy you another one. <laughs> That's honestly like we're not in that tax bracket, but also <laughs> yeah, a lot of us don't have the means to be that parent. I mean, this podcast doesn't make us much money. Please review and rate. Um, <laughs> this is a good time to mention. <laughs> I think there's a donate button there too. <laughs> but I think people think that if there's this constant freedom that there's going to be a sense of entitlement. That's where these limits come in is that really helps us to value our things and value other people because they're not expendable and we have to share them with others and they need to stay usable. And also we have to respect others and 
value those relationships as well. So Mm -hmm. I think my co-teacher for years, she was amazing and taught me so much. And she, I mean, this is not a new concept for many of us. If you think about it, like she was talking about how we live in a country that is super free, right? We have the freedom of speech. That's a wonderful thing. I can say the word fire anytime I want. I may not walk into a movie theater and scream fire. That's that's not allowed in our society. Even with the freedom of speech, that is not okay. There is a punishable element to that. You know what I mean? So like, they're just, these are limits. Respecting people, respecting the space you're in, respecting your community, even with the freedoms that we have in place. So these these things coexist, freedom and limits. I think I just want to super quickly circle back to Megan talking about turning the no's into yeses, just in case that went over anybody's head. I think a really good example that I think of is that every time we went on a field trip with my class, so this was first, second, third grade, we would sit down and talk about the expectations for that trip. We would ask them to tell us what they think probably the expectations are going to be. Like, what you know, how are we going to behave there? What are we looking to see? How do we become respectful ambassadors of this school? And a lot of times kids' first reaction is to tell you everything that they're not going to do. No running, no yelling, no this, no that. And we would encourage them to word it in the positive. So, okay, so no running. So what are you going to do? And they would have to say, oh, we're going to walk. We're going to walk. We're going to use a quiet voice and you would have to put it into the positive again, instead of saying in a negative, because science has shown that our brains, when you say no running, what your subconscious is actually taking away is running, run, and they're going to run. So you're going to have a bus of 26 kids empty out and they're all going to run for the door, even though we all just agreed there was no running. But if we all just agreed that we are going to use walking feet, you're going to have 26 kids get off the bus and walk to the door or at least 24 of them. There's going to be a couple that are going to make a break for it. But do you know what I mean? Like there's a really important psychological and scientific reason to turn the no's into yeses. Just to quickly circle back to that limiting the amount of limits. That's it. I think that's the last thing I wanted to say there. But yeah, I try really hard to say yes. But for me, a lot of the times I do try to question myself of, is this an actual limit I want to hold or or not. And I do want to say that as we close up is that your boundaries are going to be different than the person next to you or the community next to you. And that's okay. And so something I tell people a lot is that we have limits and you get to decide what those are for the safety of your children and for their development in your environment. So the things that we say, if I let my kids paint at 8 p.m. and my husband's like, absolutely not that's his limit and that's okay. And I have to honor that. So if you have different expectations of your children, it's okay. We just want to say these universal things. Are they respectful? And are we pairing them, these freedoms also with limits, these limits also with freedoms. So we did have kind of the results of these. I'm just going to say them really fast. We're not going to talk about them because we're running out of time. But the reason that we're doing these independence development of will and obedience. Again, obedience is going to be something different in the Montessori philosophy than it is kind of the term that we would normally hear it in. Like I think of a dog. (laughs) We're not talking about do exactly as I say. Maria Montessori actually said that there were three levels of obedience. I won't get into it. Maybe we can talk about that at another time if you are all interested. 
self-confidence and self-mastery and responsibility. So we want them to begin to take responsibility for themselves and for others over time. And they can't do that unless they have the opportunity to practice. And we also model that for them. So do we have anything else to say to finish up this beautiful conversation? I think I better not because... I could definitely drag Hold it her out back. another Hold really long. Back. I just, I do like the idea though of coming back and doing maybe even a whole episode on this idea of obedience and what yeah, that looks like too. in the Montessori philosophy. I love this three levels of obedience. I think mm-hmm. there's some really good stuff listed out in this script that we generally ignore, but for some reason tonight <laughs> I'm sticking to. And um, it's a new year, new us. Right? We're scripted. Uh, At least tonight. I can't promise next week, but (laughs) maybe listeners let us know if you're also interested in hearing about what obedience looks like per the Montessori philosophy and what these three levels are if you're not familiar with them, because I do think that could be unpacked in a whole episode of its own. But yeah, I think those those outcomes, the idea of what are we fostering, independence, development of will and obedience, self-confidence, self-mastery, and responsibility. I mean, who doesn't want that in their kids? Who that's, doesn't want I mean, that? that's what we want as adults. That's what I want myself to be. That's what I want my kids to be. So looking at that, I mean, that's just, that's like a hoorah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why we do this. Exactly. Even though it's hard. It is. It's hard. We are human parents, as Megan said. We are parents. We too are human parents. <laughs> as opposed We're humans, to guys. Android parents. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a lovely conversation, ladies. I think that was a, a really nice way to kick it off, too, for yeah. this new year. Yeah, That's definitely. Fun. Well, let's finish out the show with our favorite segment called confessions from the wilds what do we have to share this week oh uh, you know what i have a really quick one okay i've been holding on to this one for a little while um i'm gonna confess to your face megan that i have been spelling your last name wrong for <laughs> how many years have i known you oh i don't know how many years well 2017 right? so yeah. five years now feels like longer (laughs) i know right well these five years in specific yeah we've been through wars together basically Mm -hmm. they made themselves count but not only have i been spelling your name wrong for about five years now i actually had the audacity to be pretty mad at you about it because (laughs) i thought that i was right i don't know why i think maybe but I don't know if we have divulged our last names, but your school email address, we all were first initial and full last name. Yeah. And I swear it was spelled with an extra vowel that it apparently doesn't have. <laughs> your personal email address doesn't have that vowel. So every time I have started one of these calls for a full year, I have put in your email address and been like, oh, that is so annoying that she didn't just spell it with that letter because like maybe Wait, it was you taken. I spelt it wrong yes Megan. <laughs> yes what i'm trying to tell you right now is not only spell her own name not only was i spelling it wrong i was livid with you for obviously oh being God. the one who didn't know how to spell it i think another thing you should be mad at me about is that i have not corrected you that's true did you know i was spelling yeah because you've sent me <laughs> stuff like i can't remember it might have been at school you sent me a card and it was spelled wrong. Anyway, I just, I don't care that much. You know, it was just like a coworker spelling my name wrong. Who cares? 
the, actually, now that you're saying that, it's occurring to me that probably everything that I wrote to your unborn child was like baby blank <laughs> oh, spelled yeah, that wrong. Too. That's probably That's what it was that you were like, oh, she just doesn't know how to spell my name. And I'm like, oh, she just doesn't know how to spell her name. So I just, I'm, I'm going to call myself out for the audacity on that one. And that's it. That's my confession. That's really Now I know. Funny. Now I know. I mean, phonetically, you are correct, but. But legally, I am incorrect. According so. to Ireland, you are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do I have? The Scottish spelling for you? Is that what's going on over here? It doesn't matter. I Let's don't know. just someone else confess something less embarrassing. Um, I just really need to see a pelvic floor specialist. <laughs> You know, after two babies, I just, I've had this, actually, it's the weather. I mean, coming, like, <laughs> listen. It's not her pelvic floor. It's the weather. No, no, no. So we went to Disney World. And it was hot, like, the first two days. And then it was cold. Like, we were not prepared for the cold in Florida. And then we got here, and it was, like, ice cold. Really cold. Yeah. Really cold. So we all got these, like, just cold stuffiness. And this dry cough. And mm. my God, I'm like, I really need to see a pelvic floor specialist. Yeah, coughing and sneezing will absolutely compromise. Literally, I mean, aspects I'm just like, of your body. Man. <laughs> it would not be a Rachel confession without some good bodily fluids. <laughs> yeah. Why do I, I always it. have bodily fluids? <laughs> I have issues, clearly. Oh, my goodness. I love it. I will say, too, as part of my new job is to actually like suggest highly that you do see a pelvic floor therapist mm-hmm. because they are yeah. an integral part of our recovery as mothers and women like don't know about it or talk about it ever we're just like oh this is this this is it for us now like this is just normal just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal I learned that from my my job Um, check out mama stay fit (laughs) (laughs) holler at your girl um so yeah that's it that's all I'm gonna say about that I love that confession thank you for always being as honest and embarrassing as I am (laughs) okay hold on because I had one and then I forgot what it was and so I'm gonna read one that someone sent in about me on Instagram Oh, (laughs) that's fun, right? Okay. It was when I asked on Instagram who had a confession and that we could share it. And it had already gone past the time. And my friend Courtney, who I've talked about before because I do embarrassing stuff in front of her, apparently, or just people I know as human people. (laughs) Just people with the gift of vision may have seen you do something embarrassing. Um, And so her response was that she had one for me. And it started with one time in fourth grade, I convinced myself and Megan that the white powder, and then it ended like the, the text bubble ended. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I don't remember this. So this is a story I don't even remember. She said, okay, here's the story. I'm reading this exactly. One time in the fourth grade, I think, I convinced myself and Megan that the white powder on the soccer field was the artificial, (laughs) was the sweetener equal. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know where this is going. Okay, but also you've already confessed your problem with sweets when you were a child, so I'm scared. And so we licked it. (laughs) It was not equal. It was, in fact, fertilizer. (laughs) 
I'm not sure how I convinced myself of this, but I did. And Megan believed me. <laughs> and we ate fertilizer that day and we are still alive to tell the tale. I don't remember this, but she, apparently she does. And I, yeah. So that's something I did. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know what I love more that she talked you into it or that she also talked herself into it. <laughs> if I'm going to talk Megan into it and then if Megan is really going to do it then I think I can do it. Like Megan <laughs> believed it so much that now I believe it too. I just, and now as a teacher like of seeing fourth graders on the playground like I can totally see like two kids on their hands and knees licking it licking the lines on the soccer how many times as adults do we have to say we don't lick we don't lick the soccer field (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) get up (laughs) I'm gullible apparently and also have a sweet tooth that I'm willing to just eat sugar off the ground. <laughs> yeah, that part doesn't surprise me. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, somebody would definitely pour equal just all over a yeah, soccer field. just for us. Just for Delicious. you. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many things I could unpack there. Like the consistency of equal is like not even close to <laughs> no, that not at powder. All. Anyway, I feel like. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Courtney. Yeah. Send in more. Yeah, <laughs> she please. remembers everything. So oh, anything I've ever done that's super embarrassing, she remembers. Well, send us all of them. Yeah. We have time. Let us know. All right. We're going to do the conclusion, but Megan is not allowed. I'm going to do the conclusion. Okay. Yep. Mute yourself right now. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. Megan, I swear to God, if you throw your body around with laughter any more obviously, I'm going to fall apart. Just we are. Thank you. We are available on are Spotify. You a cruise director. <laughs> oh I'm going to go back on mute. I'm going to go back on mute right now. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild. <laughs> <laughs>